to a very special episode of Big Nerdy Questions. A few weeks ago, we had the honor and privilege of welcoming two of Canada's finest auteurs, Trish Renaud and Katie Ullman, uh, to Big Nerdy Questions. And now we are welcoming one of their co-stars for My Roommates and Escort uh, for a special discussion on amazing supporting roles. Please welcome to Big Nerdy Headquarters, Bobby Del Rio! Woo! Yay! Yay. Yay. Thanks. I'd like to thank the Academy. <laughs> Bobby! Bob, uh, uh. And joining it's us... everywhere I go. Yeah, oh, it's so everywhere. It's just, I mean, the, the thundering herds that come uh, when, when they see you walking the streets of Canada, it's a, an amazing thing. Uh, literally it's mostly because I walk around nude. <laughs> you too? Wow, I didn't you know. Uh, yeah. You can join our uh, big nudist uh, questions podcast. The other uh, that's what I thought the, I thought what I thought this was. <laughs> no, when people, say we're, right when people say we're nuts, it's more metaphorical. Oh, drum roll! Although we do sometimes, we do have ladies on the show most of the time, but not tonight. Uh, what we do have tonight on the show is two of our favorite panelists. You know them and love them. It's Ed. Yo. And it's JP, finally back from the fan conference where he met Barney with Thor's hammer. Uh, how was it actually giving Thor's hammer to Barney the dinosaur? Did he appreciate the gesture? You, you might say I stole the show that episode. Well played, sir. Because tonight's question is, which supporting characters stole the show in classic films? Uh, and, of course, inspired by Bobby's amazing performance in My Roommates in Escort. Uh, we're going to be talking to Bobby in just a second about that and his other projects. Uh, but first, as is tradition, when we have a special guest in uh, Big Nerdy Headquarters, Bobby, you have the honor of providing us our Big Nerdy recommendation of a relatively obscure film that you think our listeners should give a watch. All right, appreciate it. Uh, well, I'm a bit of a film nerd myself it was a i was a film programmer at a festival here in toronto for five years um it's funny because for me it's it's not like really unknown but i'm not sure unless you're like a cinephile you may not know but R richard linklater he's got a film called waking life that's got to be about 15 to 20 years old it's pretty cool because they shot it mini dv and then they painted over it uh so it's kind of like this choppy animation but it has people like ethan hawk and all these celebrities in it but the premise is very cool because it's very simple it's just this dude who walks around from person to person and they spout their philosophies of life um but it gets like really high level it's this sort of like super existential indie film with all these stars it's it's, it's pretty cool wow thank you for that yeah. it sounds really interesting i i like films that make me think uh, and that sounds like a perfect uh, avenue for that yeah, it just blows your mind for 90 minutes. It's just like crazy theory after theory about what what life actually is. What is the experience of living in this world, you know? Wow. I always appreciate that experience. So thank you very much. We will check that out. And, and Linklater's, of course, a great director always. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, so thank you very much, Bobby. And now for our interview portion of the show, JP, as you had a few weeks ago, the floor is yours. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about with with you, Bobby, since we're talking about supporting characters that stole the show, um, we first saw you on this the web series My Roommates and Escort. 
and you played the uh, supporting character of Sam, uh, also known as the shirtless guy getting a tattoo every time you saw him. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's why I'm nude all the time since I'm branded. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, <laughs> it was a very well-written character. Uh, it, you spent most of, every time you talked, you, you talked from a, a very uh, undignified-looking position, but you always gave really excellent advice, and I really appreciated that. Oh, you should but, have seen the audition. Oh, really? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> He's the modern-day <laughs> Fraser Crane. Exactly. Uh, so, uh, Katie and Trish, they're great writers. Katie's a great director. I mean, all the credit goes to them. I'm happy to just take my shirt off and, and say, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, so, I, I, but I have to talk about one of my absolute favorite moments of that entire series, uh, the the big tattoo reveal at the very end of season one. How yeah. real? How real is that tattoo? I have to ask. That's that's an actual tattoo that I have on my back. Wow, no, that's not true. That's not true. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, like it was pretty. Like, it's funny because originally my character was actually in a coffee shop. So what Go happened is that. Um, during the Indiegogo campaign, Katie and Trish secured Adrenaline as a uh, as a title sponsor, and they're um, like a big tattoo shop here in Toronto. Um, right. And then and then I guess the idea changed because they thought it'd be cool to like incorporate the title sponsor into the creative. Uh, so I went from being you know a friend in a coffee shop to this this guy in this tattoo parlor, and I think once that decision was made, it actually opened up a lot of creative choices as well. Um, so that's all them, you know, and I think it, it really did kind of bring this this art together. Oh, I, I certainly agree with that. So let's yeah. let's move on though. Let's let's talk about the series that you're actually behind. Uh, in real life, the series or IRL, the series that it is known, a series that talks about social media and the effect that it has had on our society, and. I, it's a very powerful, very moving series, and I have to say, I mean, I, I shed a few tears when I was watching it. It's, it's very, very emotional, very good. Like which uh, which parts? Which episodes? Which parts? Oh, specifically? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, well, you definitely hooked me with the very first episode. I, I will say that for sure. And I was very saddened by the fact that that episode is revisited later. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's tragic because it's real, right? I mean, it's about online bullying. No, no absolutely, it, it is real. A lot real. of people have experienced it. Mm-hmm. I have. I've experienced it. I, you know, I get it. Right, right. Yeah, but I, I, I think the one that this spoke to me the most personally uh, was the episode about the stalking. Yeah, two ships. Yeah, two ships. I believe that is episode four. Yeah, it's episode four. It's like a, there's like two stalkers, and one stalker stalking another stalker. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that was the one that spoke to me the the most, uh, just because of an experience that I had when I was 19. Uh, it's caused me to just never tolerate stalking anywhere I see it. Um, but I <laughs> I try not to get too heavy on this show, so I don't I don't want to go into great details, but. I I was working one day and a supervisor of mine was shot and killed by a stalker ex boyfriend. Oh and, Jesus Christ! Yeah, at like four o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday in a very large store. So, yeah, um, 
ever since then, I, I've I've kind of had a thing about stalkers. Well, these and are real stories, right? I they, mean, absolutely. This is what IRL is all about. I mean, it's I mean, there's it's a bit controversial because some people think it's just sort of sort of showing the negative side of social media, which was not really the the thesis. I mean, it's more how social media has disrupted society. I agree. I, um, I, I, I agree that you're not trying to paint a negative picture either. No, I, but I do think that, um, I don't know, I guess it's like, like I ran the writer's room, we had brilliant writers, um, but people just naturally, especially when you're, you're creating drama, mm-hmm. you tend to go toward, obviously, conflict, right? And then it's, it's really hard, to, I think, to create conflict when it's like, everything is roses and I'm so happy and look at this tattoo on my back. <laughs> that was actually not a reference to my roommates in escort that's not what i meant at all um but i think there's, it's really different if you're doing a comedy and you're doing something that's that's really dramatic right i mean it's it's like we're really delving into like this bit right it's like absolutely what, what, what really makes people um like upset what keeps people up at night what are the stories that you know like like, Donald Trump is an interesting example, right? I mean, a comedic version of Donald Trump, right? Let's say that my roommate's an escort version of Donald Trump. Uh, I mean, he's quite, he's quite funny, right? He's entertaining. I mean, I love my roommate's an escort. What a great series it is. It's so clever and quirky. I'm so happy to be part of it. Very, very different show, though, right? So if you looked at the, the Donald Trump story told in that in a sort of comedic style, you know, he's kind of this silly buffoon, and it would be like, he woke up one day, dude, I'm the president. What? Uh, that is every week on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> you know, but but the dramatic version, let's say the IRL, the series version, right. is you've got this like narcissistic megalomaniac pulling all these strings, breaking all these rules, hurting all these people, and it's like there's no consequences. They can't catch this guy. Right. And like I hope, I mean, it seems like things are getting to the point where they're going to catch him with one of the many lies and crimes he's committed or whatever, but... I don't know. I mean, you're 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 only caught when you're caught. I mean, what do you what do you got to do to like get impeached? You know, <laughs> right? That could also be the the comedic title. What do you got to do to get impeached? <laughs> <laughs> so, what what are some of your favorite moments of season one of In Real Life? Just out of curiosity. My favorite episode is episode nine. It's called Stardom. Oh um, yeah. Very disturbing. That- just a little bit. But, so it deals with sexual assault, and look, I personally have, I mean, you're talking about, you know, th- that tragic that tragic incident with your co-worker, so I have ten friends who've been raped or sexually assaulted. Right. Ten. Ten different girls. Women. And it's like, you know, there's, it, it's like, it's very frustrating because, like, what can I do, right? I can just be an ally and, and support but I just wanted to create a little bit of art to bring some attention to the issue. I mean, and it's so pervasive. Even our makeup artist was raped, and and the, and has been wow. a very outspoken advocate, um, you know, for for protecting women and you know, and look, look, Gian Gomeshi was like this big character up here, and you look at who's done a lot. I think he was quite famous and did all these things. Look at Bill Cosby. And, you yeah. Know, look at all these athletes and the, and it's like it just seems like. It's this never-ending, you know, barrage of, of sexual crimes against women, and you know, as a man who's not a predator, it's like, I mean, how do we how do we stop this from happening? I I think that's a very good question, and I 
I, I certainly can't come up with a good answer for that tonight, no. for sure. I mean, I do know no. one thing is that we one of the things we have to fight is the constant blaming of the women that it's their fault for whatever reason. It's never ever their fault. But people are always like, well, you know, some they're, they're, no, it doesn't matter how she was acting, what she was saying. It's it's assault is assault. You know, uh, right. my my wife is a teacher and. She's had students ask her, you know, she's a science teacher, but ask her about, like, what is consent? What actually is sex? And, you know, she makes it clear to them that if the girl is drunk or under the influence, she can't consent, you know? And it's like, this is not technically biology, but it's something that students, young people, have to learn. Uh, and... Yes, morality. Exactly. Exactly. So... Look, I have a 20-year career as a playwright and now a screenwriter and a filmmaker. And, I mean, you know, I guess if you had to sort of parse, um, like, um, a set of themes that sort of recur throughout my body of work, I would say I create morality stories, right? I, I don't agree. think I'm necessarily moralistic, or at least I hope I'm not, but I don't, I don't offer solutions because something like sexual assault, I, 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 you know, I'm not a counselor i'm not a police officer i'm not a judge i don't know i don't know enough about it to to posit like an intelligent solution but as an artist i think i can provoke i can ask intelligent questions that have complex answers and go look this is a real problem in society that needs to be addressed and so this is this is really the overarching idea that i was wrestling with um regarding irl where is like social media is great and i I, i'm a big fan and i mean we're we're talking now you know, through a social media platform. Correct. We've found each, we've found each other through Twitter. Yeah, so, um, but what's the other side of that? Like, what, you know, what what are the effects and consequences of social media that people don't really consider because they're too busy, like, you know, sort of awesomely being efficient or taking selfies at the gym or, you know, tweeting <laughs> celebrities or, or whatever it is, but, like, what's the other side of that? What are the effects of, of only putting the best part of you out there all the time can certainly affect the expectations that others have for you, the the way that others judge you, the way that others view you. Right. And they don't know the real you. Like, look, you two guys are really, really sexy in your social media, but how do I know you really look as hot as you look in your photos? I don't know. <laughs> well, B&Q is full of catfishers, I can tell you that much. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> But, oh, you. But but it was successful because all three of us, uh, you know, JP, Ed, and I, we're, we're all actually happily married. Uh, <laughs> so it must have worked. <laughs> You're to my wife's right. dismay. <laughs> <laughs> look, I don't want to get too heavy, guys. I mean, IRL is a pretty intense show. It is. But I, I, I just think that, look, important questions are are there in society, and I think that, you you know, you got to be bold enough to ask those questions because I think art is more than than just entertainment. I think entertainment is is really really important. Um, but I guess you know I'm happy to to participate um, in really entertaining shows. Like, I love my roommates and escort. It's so funny and clever and interesting. Um, but I guess for me, as sort of like a, when I create my own shows, you know, I, I, maybe I'm not going to get the same audience um, as something that's a little more popular. But for me, like. You know, I make art because I have real questions about the world that I want to, you know, sort of answer and that I wrestle with. 
Um, well, so that's I, the kind of work that I make. And I, I really appreciate that because as the creator of this show, we've actually um, we have strived to actually produce episodes. A lot of them are, we hope, intended to be very fun and entertaining. But we've done a lot of episodes that are also very thought-provoking. Uh, we've done, when we discussed how superheroes would affect life, we actually discussed, we went into the details of how it cre- messed up litigation and legal systems, and not just in a like joking way, but about the problems with mercenary and vigilante violence. Uh, so, and we have an episode coming up in the later half of season two, we're going to analyze how nerd franchises have affected the course of civil rights from a historical perspective. So we completely appreciate doing more serious, thought-provoking stuff. That's one of the, the main things that we do. Now, we'll also do an episode like giving Barney Thor's hammer. So <laughs> we do both because it's that's... It all comes together. Look, and that's what the world is about, right? And, I mean, look, we get back to the idea of of artists not being one thing. Um, Like, look at Katie Ullman. Katie Ullman, you know, obviously she directed and co-created and and stars in My Roommates and Escort, and she's so funny and one of my best friends. But she's also in IRL. Um, Yes. She's in in episode 12, and she actually has a, a really, really strong performance in a supporting role where she plays a victim of sexual assault. And it's pretty amazing if you actually watch My Roommates and Escort and IRL, and you're like, holy mm-hmm. shit, the same actress. She, like, one thing that people do not know about Katie Ullman is she is a fantastic dramatic actress. Because I've directed her twice now um, in different projects, and, I mean, her emotional range is amazing. Strong. She also happens to be beautiful and hilarious and talented, right? Yeah. Pretty much what, did- you, what you're looking for in a star. <laughs> To, to yeah. your point, though, Bobby, I, I I did have to take that that's that double take for a second and go, wait, is that her? Yeah, that is her, huh? I didn't think yeah. it was at first. Yeah. Yeah, she's got a real subtlety, and yeah, she's 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 really great. And I, look, this is what I, this is what it is to be an artist. I think, right? It's like you get something that's popular and people get to know you, but as they get to know more of your work and they start to see the other stuff that you're capable of, sometimes people are like, wow, like these people have actually been around for a while and, and trained and, and worked for years. Yeah. And it definitely shows in your work. Definitely. Oh, certainly. So uh, to, to wrap up the IRL discussion, I, I was going to ask, as I was watching season one of IRL, uh, I was going to ask what, what, what is the message behind that? But I, I don't have to ask that question because the message is very clear. If you watch season one, all the way to the end. Yeah. So, Instead, I just want to ask, is there going to be a season two? Um, I, look, so right now, there's sort of the second burst of momentum right now promoting IRL. We're doing the podcast circuit. Our publicist, PD Beats, is also the digital publicist for my roommates and escort. Um, right. You know, and also Stephanie Baird, who um, is one of the main producers for both IRL and for my roommates and escort. She also plays Megan in my roommates and escort, um, the manager of the tattoo shop. Right. Um, the two of them work together, and they really have boosted us um, to the next level of attention. So I guess what I'm saying is because of all the attention that we're getting right now in this sort of second marketing life of IRL, uh, there's definitely more people interested in the show, and I'm, I am listening to offers about um, – but really, it comes down to money, right? I mean, right. it's a lot of work, even for a web series. I mean, IRL – 
is a little different because we also sold the television. Um, so we were actually right. a short form television series before we were on the internet. Okay. Uh, we sold to Bell, which is the biggest uh, media corporation here in Canada. Oh, right on. Uh, so that's across Canada on demand on this channel called Five TV One, um, but it was just it was there was a lot of work to put together. So for me, if I'm going to jump in to a season two, um, it's got to be financed properly, um, and I probably need a bit more support uh, production wise because I was just doing so many things. And also, of course, Stephanie she did so many things for IRL. We had so many other producers as well, like Christina Esposito, but. What really happens when you, you make a little show and you, you don't have a lot of money to do it is that you just get burnt out. Right. That's the reality. I'm sure you guys know putting together this podcast. I mean, sometimes you must just want to bash your face against a... That would be my... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's worth it because our listeners seem to really like what we put out there. So uh, it's worth it for you guys. It's worth it. <laughs> so, okay, okay. Let's do it. <laughs> so, so Bobby, uh, the last question I have is, where can people catch IRL the series? Um, we're on YouTube. Um, we have a we have a website which is www.irltheseries.com. We're on Instagram at, at @irltheseries. We're at on Twitter at, at @irltheseries. We're, we're pretty easy to find. Um, but you know, watching it through our website is probably the best because I really don't know why to be honest, but. But I, I'm told that if people watch it through our website, it's better because we can track more things. Um, but really, you, YouTube or our website is the best way to check out the show. So, Bobby, I understand that you have a feature film getting ready to make a world premiere here very soon as well. Yeah, so I wrote and directed a feature film, which is an adaptation of my best play called The Market, uh, which is basically a gangster movie about Wall Street bond traders. Uh, now, since then, I wrote it in 2010. There's actually been quite a few Wall Street films, but... I think what separates mine is, first of all, it's the most vulgar film ever made in the history of the world. <laughs> um, but it's also, like, purposefully done. Like, I do think that the Wall Street films have kind of become a genre now. But I feel like they still get a bit of the Hollywood treatment, right? They kind of play it up and Certainly. play it up with the girls and the flashy cars and all this kind of stuff. Where my film is, is not that. It's really like a psychological portrait of the narcissism that pervades contemporary bond traders. So it's really like an allegory for capitalism. And, I'm a, you know, look, I can be a pretty intense guy. Um, and I think that, if, like, for example, again, if you look at Trump, like, what are the sort of, like, powers um, in play that are, like, allowing something like this to happen? Like, there is this sort of, like, deep, obsequious, sort of ugly anger that lives in people. And I think that it manifests itself in capitalist greed um, most clearly and disturbingly. So I would say my thesis for the movie is basically like these bond traders are basically like what's wrong with society. It's like all of the worst virtues of our world inherent um, in one particular brand of narcissist. Oof. Wow. So it's quite vicious. And it's also like I also add sort of gangster movie tropes. So it's it's pretty like... It's kind of an intense thriller that never lets up, tension-wise. Right on, man, right on. When, when you said you put gangster tropes into a Wall Street film, for some reason the phrase, I'll, I've got a derivative that you can't refuse, popped into my head. Yeah, exactly. Um, 
Which I, I'm I'm sorry if that's a direct quote from the script, uh, but it's not. But it might as well be. <laughs> I was actually oh. listening to a podcast today, uh, American History on C-SPAN, because I'm an uber nerd, as all our listeners know, uh, and it was on the historical causes of the Great Recession of '08. Uh, and I was just thinking, yeah, uh, they haven't really learned any lessons, <laughs> as your film no, these will, things, will tell. These, these, yeah, and these things are cyclical, right? It's like, there have always been crashes. I, I was also originally an economics student at the University of Toronto, so this was my background, right? And I, I just started to really recognize these patterns, and I'd wanted to write about the stock market for 10 to 15 years as a play. And eventually, and it was around 2008, too, where I, I really started to equate the bond trader with um, sort of a Scorsese criminal. And then I realized, oh, there you go. That's that's the metaphor. That's the allegory. Uh, and then, of course, Wolf of Wall Street came out. Yes. Oh, yeah. Went, oh, sh Damn it, Leo. Hello, Margot Robbie. It's a great yeah, film. Oh, yeah. It's a great film. But I do feel like my, my I don't know, if I had to critique Wolf of Wall Street, I just think it's a little bit too much flash and not enough um, analysis of why they're doing these things. You, you know, I think if you glorify that lifestyle too much, like you're really sending the wrong message. Even if I don't know, people go to jail or something bad happens to them. It's it's not you can't just glamorize their lifestyle for like three hours and then and be like, oh, but but don't do that cool stuff that they did, like snort coke off two hookers' asses. Doesn't that look cool? You know, <laughs> like I think that there's a bit of responsibility required. I mean, I get that, you know, directors have to make choices to, to sell movies or something that they think is cinematic, but there's also responsibility because some people are not going to be able to view your art through an objective lens. They're just going to see what's there and be like, oh, cool. Right. So I think there's a fine line between glamorization and parody. Absolutely. I can, I can certainly agree with that. So... The market is getting ready to make its world premiere. Uh, when and where is that going to be happening? Well, okay, so we've played India, and apparently they loved it in India. We played it in Italy. Um, okay. So we have we have played internationally, but we haven't had a screening in North America. We have we're in negotiations right now. There might be something happening in the United States. I'm not sure if I want to do that yet. Um, to be honest, it's been a little bit difficult because the movie is quite vulgar, like I said. Right. Uh, not in a not in a gratuitous way. It's not like I just want to swear, 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 swear. But in the research that I did, um, the actual speech patterns of a lot of these guys are pretty disgusting. Yeah, they're not speaking perfect, polite English the whole time. Surely not. No, and the thing is, it's almost shocking. I mean, it is shocking, but it's almost unbelievable. You almost wouldn't actually believe how aggressive and how vulgar, you know, and homophobic and racist and sexist and all these things that they are. To the point where most movies just won't, they have to, I think, uh, dumb down the language a little bit. Not intelligence-wise, but just, they just, they don't, they want to take the shock value out because you hear things like that and you're like, this is disgusting. I've had, I've had a number of people really disgusted by the way my characters speak. Um, but I don't speak like that. I mean, that is how these characters actually speak. And so for right. me, I think if you're going to accurately assess a subculture, you know, you sort of need, to reveal that subculture um, without any sort of polish put on it. Would, would you say that that their level of vulgarity is surprising, even considering the fact that most of them went through four years of college as frat boys? 
<laughs> yeah, well, look, I don't think a lot of, to be honest, I don't think a lot of people have been frat boys. Mm-hmm. And in a way, like these Wall Street bond traders are not frat boys, they're frat men. Take frat boys uh-huh. and give them hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars and put them in a culture where they have to be selling, selling, selling so aggressively all the time. Um, you know, and the difference between 18 minutes here and there it could be a million dollars, right? So it's like they're, they're so tapped in to this ultra-aggressive behavior all the time that it just manifests itself in, in every aspect of their lives. I mean, they, again, I've never been a bond trader, but based on the research that I did, what it looks like is pretty scary. I mean, it sounds a lot like the just a, an, a, a hyped-up version of Alec Baldwin's monologue in Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, it's... Whew, and that's scary enough. <laughs> Can you imagine unfiltered Trump? Because what's scary is that Trump... I mean, look, Trump's Neanderthal. But Trump is probably putting what he thinks is his best foot forward on Twitter. Yeah. What's that guy saying when the world is not watching? Uh, the the only answer I have for that is Kofifi. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. Alright. Oh. Alright, I feel like I'm being a bit of a buzzkill. No, hey, this is all good talk. Well, I, I I'm enjoying every bit of this, Bobby, I assure you. Uh, so if, if we wanted to find out more about the market, maybe catch a trailer, maybe learn a little bit about the cast and characters, uh, w- w- what can we do for that? Best thing is to go to our website, um, www.themarketmovie.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter. I think it's all, it's at The Market Movie. Um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, right now I'm trying to figure out what our options are. We do have sort of VOD options available. Okay. Um, but again, in the film, well, I don't know if I've said it, but in the film industry, VOD is kind of um, the next big thing, right? It's like, obviously, everybody knows about Netflix, and Amazon's becoming a big player. But just in the, the research I've done, I mean, there's like a lot of competition coming down the pipe. And, you know, for me as a filmmaker, trying to evaluate, like, what's the smartest way to get an indie film out there with no stars, um, VOD is, is a big deal, but it, there's so many VOD options that you just go, what is the smartest way to, to roll out this movie? And I, I just don't really know. Right on, right on. Well, I think that no matter how it rolls out, we'll be looking forward to watching it abs- uh, and seeing that kind of cultural allegory uh, play out. Appreciate yeah. it. No, I, I, wanted, I wanted to actually uh, touch on one more thing I discovered about you. I uh, believe you are quite the basketball buff. Uh, I am, I am. I uh, so I don't I don't do it anymore because I've gotten really busy in my film career. Uh, but I for two years I had a, a column in the United States on fantasy basketball. Right, right on. I called fake teams, and, and actually I got uh, recruited by Andy Barons at Yahoo Sports to be in um, the Yahoo Friends and Family Fantasy Basketball League, which is like the most famous fantasy basketball league in the world. And I finished in second place. That is Woo-hoo! incredible. Yeah. I, I, I was pretty shocked, but I, I was excited too. You know, I have yet to do better than third place in this, you know, little, little fantasy football league that I have with my friends. So I, I can only imagine what it must be like to get second place in the world. You know what the the secret, I'll tell you what the key is. The key is you have to have no life. <laughs> right. I get really obsessed. So this was a few years ago before I got busier in the film industry, and it was like a it was like a one year period where 
I literally decided to join 100 different fantasy leagues at the same time. Oh, man. And I did that because I wanted to play in every single format. And I played in them simultaneously. Whew. And I did that because I was like, the amount of knowledge, I just like, it's basically like enrolling in four different degrees at four different universities at the same time, if you could, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, I totally. That, I, I just learned how to, how to like, like so many different strategies and so many different rivalries and so many, like, you play in that many leagues simultaneously, um, you, your learning curve is so aggressive. Um, and then by the time I, I had an opportunity to become a columnist, uh, for the for this fantasy sports website, um, I just knew shit high level because I was so hardcore about it for a couple of years. Anyway, yeah, hey, that's incredible. I mean, hey, you, you earn something that you worked hard for, and that's that's what we're all about in the United States, man. So, mm-hmm. congratulations. Thanks. It's funny because in Canada, it's uh, it's it's different. Right here, you're not. They don't really like it if you stand out. Uh, <laughs> but in the U.S., if you stand out, you get a job. So it's such a that's weird. True. Yeah. Absolutely. Odd thing. Okay, I gotta ask, since you're the fantasy guru, Steph Curry, LeBron James, or Russell Westbrook, who do you build a team around? Westbrook. Westbrook because Curry's numbers go down with KD on that team, and there's so many other weapons. Um, LeBron's getting older, and he's got to share his touches now. And, you know, Westbrook's clearly the alpha dog on that team. And, you know, it sounds crazy. He could even do more this year. I mean, the guy could average 40 a game if he wanted to. And they kind of, that that team kind of needs him to just put up numbers at an incredible level uh, just to be competitive. So that's Russell Westbrook all the way. Fair enough. Fair truly, enough. Truly, you are wise, sir. I'll tell you, talking about uh, joining a ton of uh, fantasy leagues simultaneously, I I actually usually have between 30 and 40 concurrent games of Yahtzee with buddies going at the same time. So <laughs> like, that is definitely the same right. thing. you got a brother in arms there, buddy. But I bet you you're <laughs> awesome at Yahtzee, right? I, I can pretty much do it in my sleep at this point, yeah. Well, this is what I'm saying. It's like anything else. So <laughs> like, I've written so many scripts. I've written like 100 scripts in my career. I'm going to be 40 this year. That like I can write a feature from no. scratch in 24 hours. Because I've just done it so much. Like, I'm so intense just as a, as a personality that when I really want to do something, that I'm the guy. If I want to be good at Yahtzee, I'm going to play in 40, you know, Yahtzee tournaments at the same time online. That's the way to do it. Right on, man. Right on. You know, all right. Podcast, you know, it's like PD, PD Beats, you know, is putting all this stuff together. I'm, you know, I think I, this is like the 10th or 12th podcast I've done in like a month or two. Like, he's really, he's really pushing me hard. But it's like I'm really starting to figure out how, how it works with you guys. Well, Pretty we, amazing. We appreciate you coming on the show. From our end, it's a, uh, it's a, an honor and a privilege to welcome you on the, on the show. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, guys. I mean, I think this is the new way that people are going to get famous, guests and podcasters alike. Well, okay. thank you. <laughs> but yes, uh, the guests, absolutely. Um, so, uh, JP, are you is – is that it or – uh, I, I'm I'm good unless anyone else has any more has any questions okay. that weren't touched on. So let's just uh, quickly go through and just say what our favorite supporting character is in a classic film. Uh, Ed, what's your pick? You don't have to go into a lot of detail. We don't have time for a lot of detail. We will revisit this topic again, but just list your top pick. 
Okay, uh, top pick is the Joker Heath Ledger edition in the Dark Knight. Oh, I don't th- I don't think much explanation would have been needed anyway. Yeah, I mean, after we were so serious earlier, it makes perfect sense. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it is first and foremost a Batman movie, and then, you know, he literally stole every single scene. And when he wasn't on screen, there was a sense of foreboding for when he was going to be on scene. So, you know, it's it, it was permeating the whole film. Yeah. Good choice. It's a good choice. A wise choice, sir. Uh Bobby, I'll let you go next. Uh, what's your pick? Um, I don't remember exactly what the, his name was, but I'm going to say the Robin Williams character from Good Will Hunting. Oh, oh yeah. Oh. Yes. Yeah, the the psychologist. You know, he doesn't, he, it's funny because he's not in that many scenes in the movie, but it's like he's just utterly brilliant. In that movie, I mean, I love Robin Williams. Um, obviously, yes. when he does a lot. What, what a but he, you just, like, Every time he would speak, you just go, oh, my God. You just knew he was going to win the Oscar. The scene where he's in the therapy session with Matt Damon's character, oh, it's I not know. your fault. It's not your fault. Oh, so good. Right. So good. I-, I wanted Robin Williams to be my therapist. <laughs> we all did. Yeah. <laughs> okay, honestly, that character crossed with the genie because then I could – get what I wanted and get help, but, you know, such is life. (laughs) But, I mean, Robin Williams pretty much stole every role that he was ever in, so... That's true. Uh, He's amazing. Uh, JP, I believe that you want to take us back to the 30s with your pick. Uh, Yes, I do. Uh, My my pick, when I think of supporting characters that stole the show, I think of the three traveling companions that Dorothy had on The Wizard of Oz. Uh, I I can't really place any one of them above any of the other two, but they were just the the greatest supporting characters that I could remember, and that was only because I forgot that Heath Ledger was technically a supporting actor in The Dark Knight. <laughs> but, but but no, I people people still reference that movie. But they don't reference much of what Dorothy says in that movie. They they reference what the colorful cast of characters around the hair says all the time. Like anytime someone accidentally flicks water on another person, that person always goes, "I'm melting!" Like the Wicked Witch. Uh, <laughs> every dad trying to mess with his kids when trying to give directions, they always points with both arms in different directions and tells them to go that way, like the Scarecrow did. <laughs> The Cowardly Lion is just adorable, and the Tin Man is probably the funniest character in that entire movie. I, I, that, that, in my opinion, is the ultimate, the ultimate cast of supporting characters that stole the show. A good choice, sir. And I will round out our uh, foursome with my choice. And uh, all I need to say is, uh, hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare prepare to die. That's the one. You know, he had... all the the supporting characters in The Princess Bride, but especially Inigo Montoya. The most vindicating scene in that entire film 
was when he had the six-fingered man at his mercy, and he said, I'll give you anything you want. And he says, I want my father, you son of a bitch, and kills him right there. That was great. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I'll take the definition of cinematic catharsis, please. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, right there. I mean, uh, The whole cast of characters I love in that film. Uh, and honestly, when I think of The Princess Bride... I don't really think of the princess that much, although she's an amazing character, uh, Buttercup, uh, or Wesley all that much. I think of all the cast and crew around him and the, and the insanity and Andre the Giant's character. Fezzig and, and Vincini and all yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just, it, it is the perfect cacophony of comic characters. <laughs> no, no, your friend is mostly dead. Uh, never try to trick a Sicilian. Uh-huh. Inconceivable. <laughs> it, it had to be said. It had to be said. Yes. Uh, There's so many other choices, and we will revisit this topic at a later date. But I, I wanted to make sure we covered our top picks, even though it was a short one. It was a big nerdy quickie. Uh, but that's okay. Hello. Hey, hey. We we aim to please here at Big Nerdy Headquarters, and if you need a big nerdy quickie, we'll give you a big nerdy quickie. Uh, after all, my roommate is an escort. Oh. I see what you did there. I see what you did. Oh, Thank you. And well just done. Like, and just like Bobby, we've got your back. <laughs> but, um, as Bobby uh, goes quiet. <laughs> Sorry, oh, Bobby. One of the things I that know. makes us stand out from other podcasts is our horrible puns that we, that, well, oh. I, I employ on a weekly basis. Uh, it took me a while to get that. I was like, what? What does he mean? Oh, <laughs> it was good. It was good. It was good. I appreciate. I appreciate a good pun. Thank you, sir. Uh, but Bobby, uh, seriously, thank you so much for coming on our show, uh, our little show that could. We sincerely appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be on uh, Big Nerdy Questions, to be here in the Big Nerdy Headquarters. Uh, we can't thank you enough. And say hello to Trish and Katie for us uh, because they're awesome, and we hope they can come back, and you can come back too. Uh, we are currently doing a series right now where we are crowning the Mount Rushmores of various aspects of nerd life, and we would love to have your take as well as Trish and Katie's. We are doing an episode soon on who belongs in the Mount Rushmore of cinema. Oh, uh, my God. So if you have any ideas on that, we would love to hear your thoughts. Not right now, because that's a big question, uh, but we'd love to hear it from all three of you. It all when I was five years old. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, and, uh, so thank you so much, Bobby. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. And, of course, thank you, JP, for uh, handling the interview segment. As always, uh, you have done done us proud, sir. Uh, that, this was a great honor. Bobby, you, you actually are the first person I have ever interviewed, ever. So, it, really? This was, well, this you did a, good. I never would a great known. talk. This was a great talk. I, I, I had so much Happy fun. Happy to take your virginity. Tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's Bobby Del Rio, and that's what he does. Oh, my. No. Exactly. Uh, and, uh, Ed, thank you so much for being on the episode. Since you did not have a chance to speak too much in the interview, I give you the honor tonight, sir, of killing the Gungan. Jar Jar must die. <sighs> How will he die tonight? Well, Dr. Hannibal Lecter was a little bit irritated that I didn't pick him as the best uh, at stealing a show from a main character for Silence of the Lambs. 
he decided to break out of confinement and get a bite to eat. He came across the Gungan. And if you've seen the show Hannibal, you know where this is going, or if you've seen the films. He uh, creates the culinary masterpiece of Gungan uh, proportions and eats the Gungan. And then, oddly enough, he dies of poisoning, so food poisoning. So that's uh, Hannibal's dead. Oh. oh. The Gungan and Hannibal are dead. Well, damn. He made... He made a naboo-boo. Oh. <laughs> well done. Uh, Jar Jar is dead, but Big Nerdy Questions will live on, especially as long as we get amazing guests on like Bobby Del Rio. Uh, for Bobby, JP, and Ed, this is Josh signing off. Oh, and by the way, one more thing. This was episode 41 of Big Nerdy Questions. Our next episode is 42. Don't forget your damn towel. See you next week.